If you would, please take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We have really uh, still in the introduction stage of this, of this book, this letter from the Apostle Paul. Let me begin reading in verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing that the fact that law is that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and their mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this precious word that we've sung about today and that we hear read in our presence, Lord, it is such a gift that we take for granted so often and and it, it is it guides our life. It gives us direction in a in a world where there is no direction. A world that's going in a thousand directions. It gives us light in a dark world. It settles our mind. It gives us rest in a chaotic world. So, Lord, we are thankful. Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together around this word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, like I said, Paul is writing a letter from the uh, from Macedonia. He's in Macedonia and Timothy is in Ephesus. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, his disciple, his disciple in the faith. He says his true son in the faith. And he is writing with authority. In fact, so much so that you think, well, this isn't a personal letter. This is, you recognize that he is speaking to the church through Timothy. And actually, we recognize that even to this day. He's speaking with authority to his co-workers. And he's imparting truth to them. Now, he left Timothy in Ephesus while he went on to Macedonia, just like he said in verse 3 there, so that you would instruct certain men to not teach strange doctrine. Things they should not teach. He said, don't teach and you leave. He, he, he left Timothy there to deal with these men. False teaching had to be dealt with. Just like in uh, uh, Elijah's day in Israel. Um, we read the story last week how Elijah called all of the prophets of Baal together in Mount Carmel and they had a contest and, and they lost and so Elijah slew them. 400 and some prophets of Baal. Because falsehood cannot be tolerated in Israel. And the same thing happens in the church today. In fact, if you look at verse 20, he says, uh, Paul saying to Timothy, he says, Among these um, are Hymenaeus and Alexandra, whom I have handed over to Satan. He has put them out of the church, away from the protection and safety of the church. He has handed them over to Satan 
outside the church to teach them not to to blaspheme. They were teaching false doctrine. In fact, they probably had an influence on the rest of the teachers, the rest of the elders uh, at the church. And so Paul was anticipating uh, some false teachers rising up and Timothy had to stop them, had to stop this false teaching. Because... False teaching cannot be tolerated in the church. Just like it could not be tolerated in Israel, it cannot be tolerated in the church. And so Paul is doing some teaching on these false teachers. He's, he's instructing Timothy. And last week we saw, how do you identify them? And they're identified by, uh, just in general terms, they, they delve into things they should not Things that are outside of God's word. He says they pay attention, instruct them not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. They go outside of God's word. They're also motivated by not love, but by getting, getting attention. So they, they will, uh, they will stand up and, and they want to be teachers of the law. They want to stand up in front of them, in front of people to, to instruct them, but, uh, just to get they want to be seen by men, Christ would say. And they're motivated by getting and not getting, giving. They're not motivated by love and I want to tell you the truth from God's Word. No, they're motivated by, by getting. And ultimately, and the third element that we saw last week is they, they're ignorant. They're just pawns in the hands of Satan. That Satan is just leading them about. And we... Uh, we must be able to identify them. And then in this passage here, from verses 8 down to uh, verse 11, we see not only we have to identify them, but Paul wants us to see how their teaching has had an effect and has an effect on the church. It does have an effect. And Paul wants to point these things out in this particular passage. And so he's correcting some of the things that they're teaching about the law um, that's what they want to teach, and, and that's uh, some of the false teaching that they have been promoting. And so Paul's having to correct that because they have had an influence on the church, and Paul's wanting to rein them in and to correct their thinking. Now, he doesn't teach a whole lot about the law, just one or two points here, maybe three points, but uh, uh, in fact, he's dealing just with the essentials of the law. He's mainly dealing with the false teachers. Again, exposing exposing them. Now, the early church struggled with the, the law. They did. If you read back in the book of Acts, they really struggled over how to, how to handle the law. What do you do with, with circumcision and the Sabbath day and the whole animal sacrifice and the sacrificial system and uh, even rebellious children? What were you supposed to do in the Old Testament? You're supposed to, you're supposed to kill them. The ceremonial law, the cleansing, and even even using two different kinds of material to make your clothing. How do you handle all of that? How do you handle that? And the church had to really think through that. And we understand now that there is a new covenant. And the old covenant has passed away. Christ has fulfilled the, the law we see. In fact, uh, we see that we are no longer under the law, what uh, Paul says. Uh, so these, these teachers, these unsound teachers were producing unsound teaching and it was having an effect on the church as unsound teaching does, always does, 
even in our day. In fact, we, there's people today that would struggle over the law. You have the Seventh-day Adventists that, that don't worship on Sundays. They worship on Saturdays. They would like to, to pull over as much of that Old Testament law as possible. You have uh, post-millennialism that tends to do that. In fact, it's kind of becoming a, a popular thing today to kind of reconstruct uh, uh, theonomists and uh, uh, Dominion theology, they're, they're, they're trying to reconstruct the law and put it into the New Testament. And so it's confusing today. It was confusing to the church. These Judaizers, these Jews that were pulling these things over. And in fact, it became a, a works mentality. They were working their way to heaven. But we find that Israel was put on a shelf and God is now not using a nation anymore, but He is using peoples from all the nations. He has a new covenant. So Paul is just, Paul is correcting some of the teaching on the law and he has to, he has to, he has to do this. And not only that, he has to expose again these false teachers. He has to expose their teaching. He has to show how dangerous their false teaching is and how it has affected the church. The church, the church being the pillar and support of the truth. It, we must not mess it up. We've got the truth that we're handling. So we have to, we have to handle it well. Many times we don't see false teaching today as any big deal. In fact, it's, it's almost commonplace. It's just, well, that's just another opinion among many opinions. And, and we don't realize how much they are marginalizing Scripture, how much they are cheapening God's Word, that just bringing it down to uh, another opinion. Another opinion. But that's exactly what happens when false teachers are allowed to teach. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's a... The smallest alteration of God's Word becomes a a dangerous distortion of a spiritual reality. And you need to understand that. The smallest alteration of God's Word becomes a dangerous uh, distortion of a spiritual reality. There is truth. There is a spiritual reality. And when false teachers get up and they they teach false things, they're distorting that reality, that spiritual reality. And so the question that we'll look at today is, what is the result of this false teaching of the Word of God? And and how does it affect us today? How does it affect you? False teaching. We recognize that it's, it's all over America today. How does it affect you? And Paul gives us three dangers here, three areas in which uh, false teaching affects us. And he does it by the way he handles the law and the way he corrects the law. And we'll see this. You'll, you'll see it runs parallel. Number one, look at this. He teaches on the condition of the law in verse 8. He says, but we know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. We know that it is good now, he's, he's contrasting himself and his teaching with uh, the, the uh, false teachers. They don't even understand what they're saying. In fact, in verse, uh, verse 7, he says uh, they, they say these things and they make confident assertions about things they don't even know what they're talking about. And the idea is this, you, you, you've 
been gone down the road and, and you've uh, gone past a truck. And which truck is loudest? The one that is full or the one that's empty? Well, the one that's empty is just bouncing and just making all kinds of noise. That's exactly what's happening here. These guys, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just making a lot of a noise. They're making confident assertions about things that, that they have no idea. That they have no idea and they're teaching the wrong thing. They're, they're teaching things that they should not be teaching. They're calling good bad and bad good. Like the, the prophet said, I believe it was Ezekiel. And they are painting for us and for the, the church there a wrong perspective of this spiritual reality. What they were teaching is not the spiritual reality at all. Now here's the principle. Here's the principle. He says, we know that it is good. They think it's, it's, it's bad. They have a, a, a wrong view of it. The way they're using it is wrong. So they're painting this wrong picture. So here's the principle. False teaching paints the wrong picture of a spiritual reality. There, there is truth. There is a spiritual reality. And these people are, are painting the wrong picture. That's what false teaching does. That's what they, they're doing. So they're, they're teaching spiritual reality that does not exist. Now that's, that's dangerous. And I believe that there's people today that are doing the same thing. Last week I, I read a list of, uh, of what I believe false teachers. And I, I go back, I go home and my daughter says, Dad, she says, that list of false teachers is archaic. She says, that's old. There's a lot of false teachers that, that are teaching today that are more up to date. And so she, she brought me a list. And she's right. And it, and it affects every part of our Christian thinking. Almost every theology is changed because of false teaching. You have universalism being taught today. And uh, they, uh, what she did is she and some of her friends, I think they went to a Christian bookstore and just began to look through. Even within Christian bookstores, and here's some false teaching. They're from uh, Bible college. I thought, this is really interesting. And they have Rob Bell teaching. Now, he, he believes that he's just kind of universalism, and he's teaching this. There's, uh, he's questioning hell. Does hell exist? And, and that distorts things. That distorts a spiritual reality. When you take those things out of the picture, you have modalism. There's no trinity Modalism, the United uh, Pentecostal Church would teach that. That would be T.D. Jakes. We, uh, he's right here from West Virginia. I think he's in Texas now. You have a lot of people that is adding to Scripture today. A lot of books that are adding to Scripture. And I, I hate to mention names, but I, I believe Joyce Myers falls into this category. I mean, she just clearly says, look, God told me these things. She's te- he's telling me what to say. And then many other books, I just will read some. Here we have Bill Weiss, uh, 23 Minutes in Hell. Todd uh, Burpo, Heaven is for Real. We have Don Piper, 90 Minutes in Heaven. All of these people, folks, they will present to you a picture that's attractive. But it's the wrong picture. It's the wrong picture. I believe uh, I believe another one. Uh, I don't know this lady, but Sarah Young. Uh, just some very very subtle things in her books. Uh, the Word of Faith movement. Joel Osteen. 
believe I mentioned that. Uh, almost every area of theology, they're changing the view of the church. They're changing the view of Scripture, the way we look at Scripture. It's not really sufficient. We need to add to it. The church, it's, it's not really effective, so we, we've got to change it and make it effective. There's so many that are trying to do that. You have a, a market-driven uh, church today, and, and you have a lot of spiritual leaders in that, changing the way we see the Holy Spirit, changing the way we see salvation, now, the Lordship of Christ, changing the way we see even ourselves. Psychology is just filtering in through so many books. Of course, creation, the way we see Christ, everything. There's so many pictures out there that look so good and are so clever and are so close to the truth, but it's a false reality. It's not real. It's not real. It may look rosy and it may look good, but it is dangerous. It is dangerous. And Paul says, look, we know. We know. We have confidence. They don't know. But we know. There's so much bad teaching, I believe, here in America. And it has its influence in the church at large. And I am so glad for Daniel's Bible Church. Not that we have a corner on the truth, but I'm so glad that we've been protected by some of, some, from some of these things. But man, the church at large is, just, is going the wrong direction because people are painting for them the wrong picture And sometimes, and here's the application for us, sometimes it's easier to buy into their picture. Because that's the the common view of things today. So we just kind of go with the flow. We buy into that picture. That picture looks pretty good. It might be a little off, but it looks pretty good. And all the while, we're spreading inconsistencies of God's Word. We're spreading the wrong picture to the world. Number two. So we're distorting, they distort the spiritual reality. They call good, bad, and bad good. They paint for people the wrong spiritual reality. And then number two, the, look at the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law in verse 8. Paul then gives us, uh, he, he says, um, uh, he says they, uh, we know that the law is good if it's used lawfully. Now, they were using it in the wrong way. They, they may have the right perspective, but they were using it in the wrong way. Using it in the wrong way. And it says, realizing the fact, and here's the fact, that law is not made. And that, the word there is just to lay down the law. The law is not laid down for a righteous man. Now, what is he talking about there? Well, there's two different views on that that, that would be acceptable. The first one is, uh, he's just talking about the real righteous person. The real righteous, the law really is not for the righteous person because they have the higher standard, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But probably he's referring here to, to Judaism and what Christ had to address with the, the scribes and the Pharisees, that they thought that they were righteous. Realizing it's not made for the righteous man, and those could be in quotes, uh, the righteous person, those who consider themselves to be righteous. So some people see it as as that. 
And that's exactly what the Judaizers were doing. They were, they were saying, uh, well, we, we live by the law. And they thought in keeping the law that they can gain salvation. But the real purpose of the law was not to save you. Now, that's what they thought. They thought it was to save you, but that's not the purpose of the law at all. It's not for works. It's not a works-based salvation at all. The purpose of the law is to expose us to our sin. It is to expose sin and expose sinners. And so Paul lists 13 sinners here. 13 sinners that are characterized by certain sins. And they're all pretty much related. They're all... And he's, and he's just proving his point. Their misuse of the law and the way they're, the way they're handling Scripture, the picture that they're painting is not real and it's not right. And he, so he lists these things for us and they, they kind of correlate with the Ten Commandments. You have the first section that uh, is concerning our relationship with God and the second, our relationship with man. Let me just read down through this list. He says, realizing that the fact that the law is not for righteous or laid down, uh, made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless, he says. Those who are without the law. They, those who uh, have no commitment to the law or any kind of standards. Now, that was a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah in Lot's day. And God dealt strongly with that city. They were, they were lawless. The law is meant for just those kinds of people. The law was meant for, the next word he uses, rebellious. Those who just throw off authority. They will not submit themselves to authority. Now, you've seen some people like that. You've seen those people. And the law, the law comes right up to them and says, hey, you are doing wrong. You're doing wrong. He says the ungodly. The law is written for the ungodly. And that's those who are without any regard to, to, to sacred things, the irreverent, the uh, irreligious, and then sinners, those, those without uh, uh, regard for God's law, those, those that would include us. In fact, what we find is Christ came to die for sinners. Sinners. Unholy those who are indifferent to, to what is right and indifferent to God and any kind of duty they, or obligation they may have with God, and the profane, those who trample on anything sacred. Now, you can understand. You can understand why they would maybe get confused because they just see that as the law and, and they say, oh, well, we can hold to that law. But Paul goes on. He goes on. Here's what uh, one commentary said. I, I like just about this first part. He says, lawlessness produces rebellion, ungodliness, sinners, unholiness, and profanity. The law was made for just such disobedient, impure, irreverent people. The law was made for that. The law is like a mirror so that these people can look into that mirror and say, hey, I'm wrong. I'm not only, I don't only sin, I am a sinner. It characterizes my life. My relationship with my God is wrong. That's the law. But he goes on. He's just pushing this point. He says, those who are killing fathers and mothers. And again, you can see the parallel to the Ten Commandments. The uh, Honor thy father and mother. 
And murderers, thou shalt not murder. Immoral men, homosexuals, those who commit uh, sexual sins outside of the sanctity sanctity of, of marriage. They go beyond marriage. And kidnappers, those who steal children, we may say, but it's actually broader than that. Those who deal in human trafficking, and we have that today. Slave traders peddling in people, liars, perjurers, those who do not say the truth, they bear false witness, they're basically of their father, the devil. So he's saying now, look what he's saying, he said, all of these people, all of these things here, um, they're not for the righteous man. The the righteous man, they they don't need this. They don't, uh, well, here's, he's saying when you look at this list, it's easy for us to understand. It's easy for us to uh, to think, well, we're pretty good. I haven't kidnapped anyone. I haven't I haven't lied so much. I haven't committed murder. I I love my mom and my dad, and we can look pretty good. We can look pretty good. The law just is reflecting those things. The law does not save us. It does not keep us. Uh, uh, close to God, there's nothing in it that we that uh, can uh, bring us salvation. What it does is it, it exposes our sin, and it causes us sinners. It causes us sinners. Here's what you are: you are a murderer, you are a liar, and you deserve death and hell. Now, here's the principle. False teachers distort. When you distort the picture, then obviously what's going to be distorted next is the practice of spiritual truth. The practice of spiritual truth. When we begin to apply it, when we begin to put it into our lives, then and that's what they were trying to do. They were implementing these things into their lives and and they had this wrong picture of the law and they were trying to apply it in the wrong way and they were messing it up. They were messing up this truth, trying to practice it in the wrong way. And when you base it upon the wrong picture, you're going to get the wrong results. Here's what one commentary said. He says, what I receive as truth, what I believe about life, and what I be, and how I behave in time and space are all connected. What I believe and what I do, and what I receive as truth, they're all connected. And that is so true. Whatever picture we buy into, whatever picture we want, we like that picture the best. Whatever picture we buy into, that's the way we're going to behave. It will work its way out in our life. And if we buy into the wrong picture, it's going to be the wrong application in life. The wrong application. Now here's the truth. Here's the truth about the law. It's it's not for the righteous. It's not for those who have uh, been under the blood of Christ who covered themselves with the blood of Christ because Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it perfectly. That's the picture. Christ came to fulfill the law. And He set a new standard for us. We are under a new covenant with God. And we have a higher standard even than the law. And we are under now the law of love. The law of love. Christ said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, and that is is that you love one another. 
our standards are, are so much higher than, than just what the law can provide. Now, here's the application. Here's what, here's what it's like. If I just give you a, a bucket of sin and say, now go out and build your house on that, well, what's going to happen? And if I convince you that that's not a bucket of sin, that's a rock. And you can build your house upon that rock. What's going to happen? You're going to take that sin, you're going to lay it all nice, and you're going to think that's a rock, and you build your house upon that rock, and, and that, that false rock, it's sand, it's the facade, and what's going to happen? When the storms of life come, it's going to corrode uh, and, and take out the sand of that house and your, and your house is, is going to collapse. That's just exactly like Christ said. You build your house on the wrong thing and it's going to collapse. And that's what's happening today. Many, many people are building their lives on this facade of Christianity and their houses are collapsing and they're blaming it on Christ. And they're saying, I tried that and, and it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't happen for me. But it was a facade many times. Another element is we have to value truth. We have to value truth. We have to know truth. We have to understand what the Bible says in an accurate view of things. So that when we begin to apply it and work its way out in our life, then we will build our house, build our lives upon a proper foundation. Do you understand that? The false teachers, they, they put out the wrong picture. People buy into that. And then the, the practice of that begins to fall. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Let me give you one more. The source of the law. So Paul says that they, they distort the spiritual truth, the spiritual reality. They distort the working out of that. And then they distort the the source of that law. They, they, they really don't even know where it comes from. But look at the end of verse 10. He says, uh, And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He's contrasting, he's comparing the false teaching with, with sound doctrine. He's comparing what Satan would have you buy to what God would have you listen to. Sound doctrine. And the law, the law is good. It is righteous because it is based upon the very character of, the God, of God. And you have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's a consistency there because you have the same God. You have the same God. And the law, the law is rooted in the very nature and character of God. It's rooted in sound doctrine, sound teaching. And he goes on to say, this sound teaching which is according with the the glorious gospel, the glorious good news, the very thing that we get from God. So it's, it's, it's based upon, it's based in, in God. He is the source. He is the source. And when you take that away, when you become the source, when it's just your interpretation of things, then there has, there's no power to that. That can't change lives. That can't change lives. He says sound teaching. The word sound there is, is healthy teaching, is wholesome teaching. It's God's teaching versus the devil's teaching. And Paul is, is teaching, he is, he is advocating teaching that is, that is based in a spiritual truth or spiritual reality that will cause growth 
spiritual growth, spiritual life and health and vitality. And folks, that's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. We buy into false teachers or buying into the wrong thing. It affects everything. Even just one little bit, if you mess one little bit up, it affects the whole. We buy into the wrong thing and it's not healthy doctrine and we become sick and anemic. And I believe that's where the church is today, the church at large. I'm so glad for Daniel's Bible Church. Again, I think we've had strong, good teaching here for so long. Let me show you one other thing, though. Just the last verse, the last little thing that Paul says. He says, according to the glorious gospel... So the gospel, it's all based on this sound truth, teaching of the beloved God with which I have been entrusted. Now we've heard that before. We heard that last two or three weeks. Paul was entrusted with this truth, with this gospel. He was entrusted with it. And it's an ongoing thing. And he entrusted Timothy with it. And Timothy was in turn to trust the church with it. And it's been going on for 2,000 years now. And we are now being entrusted with the gospel. And we dare not mess it up. We dare not mess it up. So here's the principle. False teaching distorts the message. The very message of God. The source from God and the very message of God. This is the message that we get from God. This is, this is what we're here for. Christ left us here to, to promote this message, this gospel. Because it comes from God. He is the source. He has told us what to say. We don't make it up. We don't make it up to distort any little part of it. It's to mess it, it's to mess it all up. As on as long as I like one commentary said, as long as ungodly uh, ungodliness exists, God's law must be preached. We must have this this message unstained because the result the result is is going to be catastrophic. The church will not grow; it's unhealthy. Our individual lives will not grow. We'll build our house on, we'll build our lives on bad foundations. We will not grow. Things will collapse around us. And folks, I'm afraid that's what we're beginning to see in many churches throughout America. The smallest alteration of God's Word becomes a dangerous distortion of spiritual reality. What's, what's happening here is not the reality of, of heaven. And we must not take the truth for granted. We must not take the truth lightly. It does have an impact in our life. Now here's, here's what we do. Let me just pull it, pull it together. Here's what I think we do. I think we, we just, we live in an information age. And we're constantly dealing with information. And sometimes it's, it's hard to know. Well, does that really line up with God's Word? Well, I don't know. But boy, it's a good picture. It's a nice picture. It's a, it's a great book. Man, it's really captivating. It's really interesting. Oh, it, it doesn't match up completely. And what we do is we not only elevate someone else's teaching, but we also bring the Word of God down to an ungodly level. 
This is a special revelation from God. This is a special book from God. We only have one message. And I believe sometimes we get influenced by the world, especially churches with weak teaching, get influenced by the world. And so their picture of the church is messed up. Their picture of eschatology is messed up. Their picture of Christ, the law, salvation, all these pictures, they're, they're messed up and, and it affects their life as a negative influence, as a ne- negative impact in their life. Paul was serious about the truth. He was serious about the truth. And he says, Timothy, I'm, I'm handing this over to you. It's entrusted to me, and I'm going to hand this over to you. And Paul was serious about the truth. We must be serious about the truth. We have to be careful. The songs we sing, the things we watch, the things we listen to, the books we read, they, they have an impact in our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we thank You, Lord, for the truth and for entrusting us with the truth. And Lord, so often we, we, don't, we, we kind of take it for granted. We just think it's always going to be here. Somebody will get it right. And Lord, we begin to build our lives on it, and, which is a good thing, but sometimes things slip in and, and, and we, we find ourselves slipping and falling in life because we're, we're now really built on the rock of the Word of God. We're built upon sand that will not hold. So Lord, help us to be discerning. Help us to see the danger. Help us to take it seriously. Falsehood does not belong in the church. It doesn't belong in the life of the believer. So, Lord, help us to be careful and put it out. Put it out of our life. Put it out of the church. And, Father, the only way we really can do that is to know the truth well. To know the truth well and to study it long and hard. To know it. To set under its teaching, the teaching of godly men that has been studying it for years and and even on the shoulders of our early church fathers and those pastors have spent their lives over studying this word so lord we we build on the truth we build on what is solid lord in that in all of this we recognize We can't do it within ourselves. We have to have the enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to work in our lives to even understand it correctly. And so we've realized that we're just really dependent upon you. So dependent upon you. So Lord, when we do approach this word, when we do look at this word, I pray that you would guide us. Guide us in the truth. May it be truly a light unto our path. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.